AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Explore a wide selection of luxury spirits, wine, and champagne at ReserveBar.com. Elevate your gifting this year with rare and exceptional bourbons, tequilas, scotch, wine, champagne, with personalized engraving, exceptional glassware, and more. From wines to whiskeys, there's a bottle for everyone. For a limited time, save $20 on your order of $150 plus with the code IHEART at ReserveBar.com. Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are one game deep in the NBA Finals. So on this podcast, we're pretty much just going to be giving out our first impressions. It's only been a couple days since we last checked in with you all. But of course, that was previewing a series. Now we have seen a game. So we do have some more concrete takeaways. And I think that the first thing that we kind of need to address is the status of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because at the time of that recording, we didn't know what was up with him. After we recorded, he was announced to be doubtful, then was upgraded to questionable, obviously ended up playing, and I thought looked pretty damn good. Didn't have a monster game statistically, but physically I thought was impressive. Still put up his numbers 2017 and four with a couple steals and a block on the defensive end. So what did you think about Giannis? Again, looking pretty darn good out there. And how does that inform your opinion about this series going forward? I thought Giannis looked really good. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have any concerns about his health moving forward in this series. Uh, uh, that being said, I don't really think it changes my opinion unless the Bucks change up how they're running their offense. And uh, with one game in, uh, I think they just have to get back to what they did during the first quarter. And that may seem pretty simple, mm. but uh, I just thought the big thing that it wasn't really a Giannis thing. I just think they just need to go inside more often and trust Giannis to just find guys out of the painted area. Like, I just think that's – I think how how the Bucks run their offense is going to uh, change my opinion a little more on – uh, the outcome of the series than Giannis, because I think that, I don't know, Giannis looked perfect. I don't really have any, uh, I'm not concerned at all about his health. I think he's a hundred percent the rest of the way. Yeah. I was pretty impressed overall. Maybe there were a couple spots where you thought he could have been a little more aggressive in transition, but it seemed like overall he trusted the knee. He had that one incredible display of athleticism where he's coming downhill. He just bullies Aiden. That's not something that an injured guy does. So I mean, my initial prediction was Suns and seven. 
I don't see any reason to change that. I was expecting Giannis to be pretty healthy, but it was good to see that he is essentially himself out there, it would seem, and hope that he remains in that condition going forward. So I think we kind of agree that this is great to see, but doesn't necessarily change our predictions overall. But let's talk about what you just touched on with the Bucks offense. So what was your biggest problem overall with how they approached game one and how do they improve that going forward? I just think they got away from what they did well. And in that first quarter, every single possession, they were just dumping it inside. Or now I, I can't say this overall for the rest of the game because in the first quarter, they also got a lot of transition points uh, that just slowed down as the game went along. Um, mm-hmm. But no, just in the half court, they are dumping the ball down to Brooke Lopez in the paint. They are dumping the ball down to Giannis. They are they are getting switches on, you know, Jay Crowder on the inside. Like, they're just things that they just turned away from. They relied on a lot more Chris Middleton uh, difficult shots. They relied on Drew Holiday trying to create a, the pick and roll. And uh, they both did good enough. They both were serviceable uh, in doing that. I just think that it's not where the Bucks get the most of their points. It's not where their best offense comes from. Their best offense is when Giannis is in that paint, collapsing the defense and forcing guys to come inside and slide off of uh, other bucks to open up shots. Like, mm-hmm. I just think they got away from that during the rest of the game. They just made things harder on themselves by not relying on Giannis and uh, trying to bully the interior. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, as you said, the Bucks are a team that dominates the paint a lot. And they have shooters surrounding Giannis, of course. But these playoffs, they've scored the third highest percentage of their points in the paint out of any of the 16 teams that made it into this field. And I do agree with you that they obviously didn't have that many imposing presences inside in this game. And I think that's reflected by the free throw numbers. Outside of Giannis, you have four free throws as a team. And part of that is just how things are constructed. Middleton is not a guy who's inclined to barrel inside, get downhill, get to the line. He doesn't have the skill set to do it. And he still played a pretty damn good game with zero free throws attempted. And Drew is another guy who's not necessarily going to get all the way downhill a ton. And he ends up going two of two from the line in this game. He had a rough one overall, 414. But the thing with him is it's always hot and cold. I mean, sometimes those shots are falling from the mid-range, from beyond the arc. And then it's like in games five and six against Atlanta, wow, this guy's really good. Sometimes he's just a bad shooter. And it's like, okay, there's a reason he was shooting 25% from deep through two series in these playoffs. So are you looking to Brooke Lopez as that guy to step it up? Is it more on Giannis? being assertive because again only 11 shots for him in this game isn't an overwhelming number where does that responsibility lie no I think it relies on Giannis yeah Giannis and maybe you could say Brooke Lopez I also think we need more Bobby Portis minutes that was a huge takeaway Mm. from game one like I think they can rely on him on the interior it's just as the game went along uh I think you pointed out a big thing with Drew Holiday Carson and that's that's another issue in this uh Bucks offense Outside of Giannis, there are no guys that I trust to get downhill. And it is obvious Mm -hmm. with Drew Holiday. He just can't do it. And again, he's going to rack up his assist numbers because he uh, is a smart passer. He's a smart facilitator. He just knows where to move the rock because he's a high IQ guy. He's not necessarily going to get downhill and collapse defenses. I think that's part of the huge problem uh, of the offense. But no, I think down the stretch in these games, I would take the ball out of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton's hands for some possessions and just, yeah, let Giannis do what Giannis does best and let him try to dominate this finals. He's your best player. Let him go and try to will you to win the series. I don't think there's any other way, Carson. Mm-hmm. 
Fair enough. I think that Middleton still has to be your go-to guy down the stretch, regardless of if he's been spotty there historically. I understand you're saying you just don't need to hammer him every single possession, but also I think if anybody was going to keep them in this game, it was him. I mean, he didn't start overly efficient. I think he was 5 of 15 to begin it, but then he makes 7 of his last 11 shots and shows you the kind of electric perimeter mid-range shot making that really is the only reason this team can compete in clutch situations ever. But I do agree with Holiday. It's always a double-edged sword. But I also think that we need to look at this realistically and say he played a major part in them closing out that series against Atlanta because he was allowed to facilitate, to dictate offense, and to get his own shot. But it's different now. You do have Giannis out there. And I think that if you're going to pinpoint one area in which he could have been better, it would have just been being generally more assertive. Because 11 shots... That's not great from your best player, and I thought they did a good job of handling him. I think that Aiden is a good matchup, but overall, I mean, he didn't take a bad shot really in this game. Maybe that one three that he missed, that was pretty ugly, but for the most part, the shots that he took were good ones. Just try to get a little more of them. Try to impose yourself on the game a little bit more. I'll ask you this. Did you have more of an issue with the Bucks offensively or defensively here in game one? Uh, only reason I point out offensively is, bro, like, I don't know what they can do defensively. I don't know how you stop this. They tried. Budenholzer threw the kitchen sink at the Suns' offense, and yeah, nothing worked. Like, yeah, I got problems with it defensively, but I just don't think there's anything they can change. I think the Suns are going to serve them buckets <laughs> regardless. I told them in our series preview, I said, you know, switch everything, try to get over screens mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> Nothing's going to work. Nothing is going to work in this pick and roll versus Devin Booker and Chris Paul. I mean, game one was devastating. On that, actually, I will say, when they switched, when they were uh, opening up the game and putting Giannis on them, uh, like, just immediately, I think that could work in the series moving forward. Telling Giannis to pick that up, uh, pick up Chris Paul and Devin Booker at the top of the key every possession, but... Outside of that, I didn't like when P.J. Tucker got switched on. I didn't like when Brooke Lopez got switched on. They just got absolutely sauced. I agree that Giannis on either of those guys is a really good option because when you're talking about guys who aren't explosive, overwhelming athletes, just put somebody with crazy long arms and crazy athleticism himself on them to affect as many of those mid-range jumpers as you can because at the end of the day, that's where this game was won for the most part For the Suns, CP had a phenomenal day, obviously, 32 points, 9 assists, had the four threes that helped boost his day. He doesn't normally knock down that many from beyond the arc, certainly. And if you look at Book, he found a way to get to the line a lot. 10 free throws helped boost his efficiency overall on the day. But the memorable moments and where this game was really put away was, as you would expect, particularly with CP out of that pick and roll. And this is why... We addressed this as a key before the series. How do you handle this? I said I thought they would be okay dropping Brook not deep into the paint because I think that that is obviously asinine. That makes no sense to do against guys who want to do nothing more than shoot mid-range pull-ups, but, you know, not try to force him over the screen to where it's a traditional set switch in that respect because I think he's just going to get burned there, and I do think he can hang well enough within 15 feet with these guys affecting those mid-range jumpers. And what's crazy is, yeah, he got scored on a lot in game one. I don't know that he played terrible defense, though. He got a lot of hands in their faces. Like, these guys just make tough shots over and over and over again, and that's been the thing with CP. 
when he's making every single one of them, it's just like, man, this guy's unstoppable. But we saw, obviously, a couple of really tough showings last series when those mid-range shots actually were being affected. It's not like the Nuggets where it was literally just basically layups for him all series because they were dropping Jokic deep into the paint, trying to let CP's primary defender recover and get around that screen, and he just never could in time. Last series was different, and I think this series in Game 1 was different, but it still wasn't enough, clearly, to make these guys uncomfortable. So I don't know if you bail on it after one game. I think that the answer is... If you are going to change it, you just have to go Giannis at the five all the time because you can look at this rotation and think, okay, the minute distribution maybe isn't my favorite because we got a lot of P.J. Tucker, 33 minutes, who offensively I don't think is dynamic at all. We didn't get much Bobby Portis, only 14 minutes out of him. We didn't get much Bryn Forbes, another explosive offensive piece, only 12 minutes out of him. But I think the reason for that is Every single time there was an exploitable piece on the floor for the Bucks, the Suns will literally just run pick and roll right at him if it's a big, and they will get matched up with Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez, or if it's Bryn Forbes, they'll just isolate and cook him. So <laughs> it's like you said, I don't know what the answer is. Like This is what happens when you have two dudes who can just get their own shot like that over and over again. You have to find a way to be creative, and again, maybe you try... Brooke being out there as a big body who's tough to get around. Again, honestly, I think, if anything, make these guys blow by Brooke. Like, again, you don't need to bring Brooke out 25, 27 feet because that's not where Book and CP are going to do the majority of their damage from. But I think that if you are going to switch everything with him, have him come out to 18, 19 feet. Don't have him sit there, you know, at 14 feet and give them even a foot and a half of space, just say, you have to blow by me and then trust that he is big enough, that he can affect enough shots with his size and length and trust Giannis as a help defender to say, they're not going to get that easy stuff at the rim and we're going to make the mid-range stuff that much harder. And if it's not that, I think it has to be Giannis at the five. I was excited for Bobby minutes, but man, did CP cook him a couple times in this game. And I just think PJ is so much more playable on that end. And again, a guy like Bryn Forbes who could swing the series with his offense, I don't know how much he can play. Maybe it's more Pat Connaughton who got 28 minutes in this game just because he's a decent enough defender. But this is tough for Milwaukee, man. Yeah, you're damn right. Every bit of what you highlighted, Bryn Forbes, any minute he's on the floor, campaign is just driving right by him to the rack. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being on the floor. Um, honestly, man, the Bucks to me are short one just athletic guy with long arms. I like that mm -hmm. just literally just solves the, all of their issues because like you said, you're either stuck putting Giannis at the five and getting cooked off of the roll at the top, or you put Giannis at the top and you just hope that Brooke Lopez can close out well enough on every shot. I think mm -hmm. you're right. I think I don't, I don't love PJ. I would leave him out there uh, at the top. I don't think you play Bobby Portis in the pick and roll, but every possession for Suns offense, I think that you have to have Giannis at some key point in the defensive mm -hmm. part of the pick and roll, either up top at the five, and you've got to highlight, you got to pick another guy. If it's PJ, you can't have PJ down low because he's not going to be able to close out on shots. I, you're right, man. It's it's really tough. I, I think that <laughs> Giannis and somebody else, and cross your fingers that Devin Booker goes cold. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we saw more Pat Connaughton than Brooke Lopez in this game one, so clearly. Bud was aware of that being exploited. The thing that's tough is 
Again, I don't think Brooke played terrible defense. Like, this is not a great matchup for him because it's so much pick and roll with guys who, again, can just nail those 15, 16-footers all day long. But he really produced on the offensive end. I mean, he gives you 17 in 23 minutes, knocks down three triples a couple times with Jay Crowder on him. They threw the ball to him in the post, and he was able to create something there. Could have had 19 if he just knocked down a couple of free throws. So... There is a give and take here because you don't get that kind of offensive creation or explosion from Connaughton, and maybe you just have faith that, okay, CP's not going to make as many of those tough mid-range jumpers. They're not all going to roll in, and sure, he's proven he can do that, but again, he's shooting 49% for mid-range overall in these playoffs. Devin Booker is shooting 41%. At least that's what their stats were before game one of the finals. Like, it feels like these guys are invincible, immortal, and they never miss, especially CP at times. But they do miss sometimes. And when those days come around, maybe you can stomach playing Brooke because of what you get out of him on the offensive end. What do you think about that? Well, yeah. And I would say that uh, this was a game that Milwaukee very well could have won. I think Mm -hmm. that obviously the free throw discrepancy hurts, but (laughs) this MFJ Crowder played 30 minutes and scored one point. Like you had a guy that played significant minutes go completely ice cold out there. Devin did not shoot well from behind the arc. Like, there was a definite window here for the box to win this game. And um, I think there's a portion of that that you highlighted because I think you can stomach Brooke playing on the offensive end. I think all you have to do every possession is just get Aiden out of the paint. Like, I think that's Mm. what, I don't know. I think that's what I would change if I'm Milwaukee offensively. Like, I don't know. Like they had a lot of pick and roll just early where Aiden would come out freely in Crowder got switched on they the bucks had easy constant offense every time they got that switch like jay crowder cannot defend brooke lopez he has a hard time with portis with Giannis. i don't know if you get aiden out of the paint good things will happen on offense and that's why i think uh i think the rest of this series is that's where the win in lies for milwaukee because i don't think you can change anything defensively i think you've got Mm. to i think drew's got to be better i think you've got to play smarter you've got to get that switch on the paint but I think this lies offensively for Milwaukee. I think that's where they've got to be their best. So if Aiton is matched up on Giannis for the majority of the series, how do you bring him out of the paint regularly? <laughs> Pick and roll. Like I don't, Are you saying that he's just going to give Giannis a runway every time if he's matched up with him? I felt like he did that a considerable amount in game one. And then if you're if you're using Giannis as the role man... It doesn't matter. They're not going to switch it. They're just going to keep Aiden down there. Aiden did a great job off of the uh, as a defensive role man. Giannis didn't get mm-hmm. anything out of the uh, out of the role. That's a good. I don't know, man. Swing the rock. Also, uh, <laughs> this is a little point uh, I remember from last episode. Uh, I want to bring up Carson. I thought Jeff Teague was going to get really hot there in the second quarter when he hit that one three pointer. Dude, I was so angry. We saw ten minutes of Jeff Teague. And we saw four minutes of Frank Comiskey, and I did not enjoy a second of either. Oh, and speaking of which, uh, like, do you think the Sarich injury, like, does this change anything at all for you? Oh, it changes something. It's not a series swinging injury, but Dario Sarich is a damn good basketball player. And this has been one of the reasons I've loved the Sun so much is I can look up and down their entire rotation and say, they do not play a guy who I do not like. I mean, sure, Crowder will have his off days. Torrey Craig will have days where he's not knocking down his shot, but they have good multifaceted basketball players nine deep, maybe even 10 deep if you include Javon Carter, who has not played like at all in these playoffs, but will forever be my guy. 
Frank Kaminsky is not one of those players, Logan. Let's be honest about that. Frank Kaminsky is a bumbling fool on both ends and is unplayable. Why are you acting surprised? He sucks. He is so bad. The second he was put out there, I felt like I was in physical agony. And yeah, he had a little stretch of this season where he was okay. Most of this year, though, he was just downright awful. I think back to the one game where he had to guard Jokic for a stretch because I think Aiton fouled out. I have never seen somebody more outmatched in a defensive matchup like in my entire life. And here it's just what value are you getting from him? Floor spacing, some size, like he's not imposing any sort of value as a rim protector, as an interior defender. So if it's shooting that you're looking for, just play Crowder at the five for seven minutes a game and play eight and 40 minutes a game, match him up with Giannis and let him continue to bear the massive load that he has throughout these playoffs. I don't think that you can go and say, all right, let's throw Jalen Smith out there. That to me is a pretty scary proposition, but would I do that before Frank Kaminsky? Maybe, maybe, because he's really bad. Do you disagree at all? Frank Kaminsky's on your bumbling fools list? Uh, yeah, he's certainly there before Marcus Morris is. I just think, I don't know, man. Frank did have a good stretch in this season. I like Frank a lot. Like, he can hit an open three um, offensively. I, I want to I clarify. No, you're right. Defensively, he's a bum. He can't move. Uh, he doesn't get out and contest shots. He's not switchable. Uh, he gets bullied because he can't jump. He's not a good rebounder. Doesn't give a whole lot of effort. No, I mean, like, on the defensive end, Frank sucks. But I like the fact that he can hit an open three. And I think that if you're going to play him, that's kind of where you should just pick and fade. That's it. Um, but why would you want that over Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson? I probably wouldn't. I never said I'd play the guy. Okay. Well, you seemed very alarmed at the fact that I'm not a huge fan of Mr. Kaminsky's work. I've never heard this kind of vitriol for just, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Normally, most guys, like, I know that you're a big fan of uh, <laughs> of campaign. You've never brought up Frank Kaminsky once. Well, here's the thing, Logan. You're the guy who likes to come on here and call everybody a bum, and I'm the guy who likes to love all the random guys. I mean, you love all the random guys, too, but you also hate a few of them a bit more than I do. But we're in the finals now, man. I mean, this is not January 26th where I can say, hey, you see what Isaac Okoro did tonight? This is Frank Kaminsky playing in the NBA Finals. No more of that. None for me, thank you. Monty, I'm begging you, man. If you play him another five minutes, I will frankly have no sympathy for you not winning Coach of the Year. I would maybe nominate you for Anti-Coach of the Year because Frank Kaminsky is unplayable. I know these circumstances suck. To Dario, I apologize. He's a good Croat. We share blood, Dario and I, and I'm going to miss him out there. He's my kind of basketball player. He's smart. He can shoot the ball. Great for himself out of the post. Good passer. I enjoy what he does out there, and he will be missed. Frank Kaminsky, I do not enjoy. One bit. So, no more Kaminsky minutes, please. But, I mean... What do you think? What is the answer there? Is it just play eight and 42 minutes a game and then stomach six minutes a game with somebody else as a small ball five? Or how do you tackle now this this loss of Saric? Yeah, I'd say Jay Crowder is probably my pick just because he just because he's moderately switchable. Um, I'd play Aiden as much as possible. I want Aiden mm-hmm. out there for 
as many minutes as he can play. He is an invaluable piece of this defense, of this offense. Um, I, I still like, yeah, it hurts because I love Sarge. I like when he gets out there, and he's at least a competent defender for when he does have to run the five, and he does. He's fun to watch in transition. Um, mm-hmm. It hurts a little bit, but it, it's not really game-breaking. Like his, what, 20 minutes a night? Like they aren't, yeah, maybe less than that. Was he, like 15? It's it's not really going to be that much on the impact of this series, but uh, I'd give it to Jay Crowder. Maybe run a little Cam Johnson at the five. Just go completely crazy. Go berserk. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, maybe McCall. I'd switch it. Maybe McCall and Jay Crowder, but um, I don't think it's all that big of a loss. And I might, bro. I think you're right about Jalen Smith. I might give him a little burn here just to see what he's got. It's better than Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, and I think you just have to choose your minutes. You sit eight and wisely, like. Try to match that up with the Bucks bench rotation as much as possible because if there's no Giannis out there and if there's no Brooke out there, I think you're fine. I mean, Bobby, I love the guy. I don't know that he's bullying some of the strong defenders that we have in Phoenix like a Jay Crowder, like a McCall Bridges with his length. And so I think you can stomach playing small ball five in those minutes. And yeah, keep Aiton matched up with the big dogs, with the Giants who dominate in the inside. And I just want to give some more DeAndre Ayton praise, man, because we talk about the pick and roll and why it's so unguardable here. Ayton is absolutely a part of it. Like, yeah, does he have a pretty easy job at the end of the day? I suppose so. But the other phase of this that is so unstoppable is that if CP does pass up on the mid-range jumper, if he decides it's a better option for him to penetrate, and if Brooks sticks with him pretty well, even if he or if he doesn't, in all likelihood, a second defender is going to come over just for a little bit of help because you think that's a mismatch. CP's a little bit quicker, even if you're coming into really Brooks' territory on the interior. And then the second that happens, who's rolling to the bucket for a pretty easy lob from CP every time over? It's Aiden. We saw that a couple times in game one. Monster performance out of him overall. 22-19, and 19, 8 of 10 from the field, 6 of 6 at the line. Hyper-aggressive, dominating on the glass being efficient and opportunistic offensively. Like, if you are waiting for the drop-off from DeAndre Ayton, it is not coming. This is just so much fun, so phenomenal. It's so valuable to understand your role like he does, and he's just maximizing his value night after night after night. And CP is the star of night one. Book had his phenomenal moments, but Ayton, man, changed the game yet again. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's just, I, yeah, he's more than just a cog in the machine of the Suns' offense, but it is a damn good machine. Uh, I, I just want to heap praise on all of them, bro. Uh, the even Cam Johnson and Macal Bridges for just sitting in the corner, Jay Crowder, like whoever, like, and Cam Johnson and uh, Bridges mostly because they're the two forefront guys that I think about when I'm talking about cutters. Mm-hmm. This offense is just fluid. They know where to move. They know how to move. They they work so well together. I just think these sons are the, they're the perfect team, bro. And yeah, I don't know. Everybody knows their role and accepts it on this team. Also, um, if we're, while we're heaping praise, Carson, I want to give you credit for your first take, uh, that you said was going to be the deciding factor of these finals pace decided this game far more than anything else. I thought after game one and mm-hmm. the Suns, I felt, uh, controlled the pace the best. Um, I just want to show some love for my boy for calling that out before the series because I think that's what's going to dictate it the rest of the way as well. 
Thank you, my friend. And I also think that the Suns really struck effectively in transition. They end up with 20 fast break points and a couple easy buckets came there for McHale that I can think of in particular. And you talk about this offense being a machine, man. They put up 118 when they're only 11 of 34 from deep. That's 32%. And the Bucks opposite them are 16 of 36, better than 44%. And they lose that game by 13. That's always a good sign to me because game to game, three-point shooting will vary, of course, as we know. But creating great looks inside of the arc is something that lasts. And that's what the Suns just did over and over again. And of course, they got to the line as well. And it's interesting, 118 points with only 18 assists. That's a very low number, but I think it's kind of reflective of just how they played this game. I mean, it was not a ton of ball movement necessarily. It was more just find the matchup, attack the matchup, destroy the matchup time after time after time with the two best players dictating that flow throughout and the pace of the game, as you mentioned. Any other Suns who really stood out to you in game one? Um, not especially, but I will say I thought that the, uh, I thought that the Suns also created some of those uh, fast break opportunities uh, by stepping into passing lanes too. winning the turnover mm-hmm. battle was a big deal uh, as well. Uh, I do want to ask one thing though, Carson, do you think that coach Bud was, uh, is he justified in his complaints about the free throw uh, discrepancy? Like, do you think that I thought that the refs mostly called this game pretty fairly and they let them play a lot. Like we had mm-hmm. some, some tough layups that didn't get called. Like, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty fairly called game. I didn't think much of the discrepancy. What did you think of Coach Bud kind of pointing the finger a little bit? I mean, obviously, the numbers are pretty stark when you're looking at 16 free throws for the Bucs, and they were at six, I think, at the start of the fourth quarter. Like, that number was really low for a really long time, but I think it's what we touched on earlier for the most part. They just weren't overly aggressive attacking the paint. And definitely had some looks in there, but I would have to re-watch and really try to nitpick and find foul calls that bothered me because first watch through, I didn't really think that it was unfair. I didn't think that there was a discrepancy as far as refereeing. I just thought we saw Book craftily get to the line a few times. We saw Aiton draw those fouls. We saw CP even on a couple of jump shots get fouled. And... I didn't think that there was anything unfair there. There wasn't really a single call to me where I was like, ooh, I don't really know about that one. Yeah, I I agree. I just thought kind of a bogus call uh, from Bud. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I mean, are there any other – I think uh, if you're done with the Suns, I think we move on to Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just shout out the typical cast of characters for the Suns, guys who stepped up. Mikhail played a good game, campaign – Had a little bit of a stretch there. Had a vintage scoop layup where it's just so crazy how he controls that ball. And this time, didn't even use glass. Just lefty scoop right into the hoop, baby. It was beautiful. And then followed it up with a nice heat check three that went in. I thought Cam Johnson played another good game. 10 points, knocks down a couple triples, picks up a couple steals, a couple assists. Just really impressive for a second-year guy to be able to play in this stage at this level. And sure, he's 36 years old, so he's not your typical second-year guy, but just another Suns player who you look at and you say, I really trust him, I believe in him. Crowder, 0 of 8, 1 point, but interestingly had the highest plus-minus on the team at plus 19, and I think did some really good work defensively, grabbed 9 boards, 
And for the most part, missed open shots offensively. There were a couple where he kind of went himself. And I was like, don't do that. Don't take a pull-up heat check three. Don't try to penetrate yourself because, like, that's not your job here. Your job is to stand around and knock down open threes. And when he goes outside of that, I think things go south for him. But overall, I just thought another good all-around game uh, from the Phoenix Suns. So uh, let's go back to Milwaukee here. I mean, we've talked about how offensively they can try to play to their strengths a little bit more. Defensively, how they're kind of trapped. Rotation-wise, what do you think is the key for them? I mean, is it going to Bobby, Bryn Forbes more? Is it leaning on Connaughton? Like, what is the answer overall in that respect? Is it playing Jeff Teague 0.0 minutes? And why is it playing Jeff Teague 0.0 minutes? Oh, for the record, I was going to say Jeff Teague should probably play no minutes. Um, you got to play Giannis Holiday and Middleton like 48 minutes a night. Um, they have got to be your creators every offensive possession. Like, like if you're not getting a hot shooting night from some of these guys, like if they are knocking down their shots, maybe you try Jordan and Wara. You, uh, you try a little more Bryn Forbes minutes just if guys aren't hitting open looks. But I think Giannis, uh, Drew, and Chris have got to run about 48 minutes a night. Like I think I'm trying to have them on the floor for damn near the entire game. I want the ball in their hands on offense every single possession. That, to me, is the key. And that, I think, in lies the biggest issue for this Milwaukee Bucks team. They're lacking another guy that can just create constant looks for guys. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, you can point out Middleton. You can, you know, that what he can do out of the pick and roll if he's looking to find other guys. Holiday out of the pick and roll. Giannis. Giannis is the only guy I think that can consistently create offense because of how well he collapses defenses. I think that's where Milwaukee lacks, but they can try to supplement the issue by just having a ball in their three best players' hands every possession down the floor. Mm-hmm. And we saw heavy Middleton and Holiday minutes. Middleton played 45, Holiday played 40, Giannis only at 35. Maybe that's partly reflective of the fact that obviously he is coming off of the injury in this game wasn't all that competitive down the stretch. I mean, the Bucks hung around a bit, but they were down in the high teens and I believe dipped into the 20s late in this one. But I agree with you, and I think that Bud has been willing to lean on his guys for massive minutes and to have massive burdens offensively and really on both ends throughout this playoff run. So I think that that is the solution. I mean, you're not conserving yourself for anything. You're not saving yourself. And frankly, when it comes to depth, I just don't think you match up with the Suns. So rely on your best guys a little bit more than maybe the Suns have to because they have the luxury of trusting, again, that bench of eight, nine guys. Yeah, so I want your final call then. Um, I've heard you uh, complain and you know give props to Bobby Portis and PJ. Like, who are you leaning? Do you give... Are you trusting Bobby with more minutes the rest of this series? Right now, I think that I am only playing Bobby Portis when Chris Paul is not on the floor because that matchup just scares me a little bit too much. I mean, it's really going to come down to how this plays out. I don't think you can go into every game with a prescribed minutes distribution for the two of them because... I think it just depends on what you need. I mean, if Bobby's getting cooked defensively, you probably can't play him. But if you need a little bit more offensive punch and PJ is just downright off in that respect, he's not knocking down his open looks, then lean on Bobby a little bit more. I think that Bud has shown that he is willing to give each of them 
more minutes when the matchup dictates that they should have more minutes. And so I think that that should continue to be the approach. I want it to be Bobby, but game one was a little bit alarming in that respect. Do you think there's any way that the Bucs can create more transition offense uh, with anything the Suns were doing? Not really. I mean, I think just take your opportunities when they come. I thought that they honestly got out and transitioned a decent amount. I think they ended up with 17 fast break points. That's a fine number. And uh, you're just not going to be able to strike every single time down. I mean, as I said earlier, maybe there was one or two where Giannis, I thought, could have gone a little bit more pedal to the metal. But, like, this is playoff basketball, man. You're not going to get 30-something transition points with any sort of regularity. Yeah, and the um, another big thing, uh, I don't know if we've already mentioned this, but the Suns uh, ended up beating the Bucks in points in the paint. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Bucks can win a game if the Sun, like if the rest of the series, if the Suns win points in the paint, can the Bucks win any game uh, under that scenario? That's a good question. I think it's possible because there are the games where they just rain threes, but. As we said, this was a game where they kind of rained threes. The Suns didn't rain threes, and the Suns still came out on top. So I totally agree with you that that is an alarming stat because the Suns just are not a team that's nearly as dependent on that paint offense. I mean, they are one of the better interior scoring teams in basketball, no question, but not quite at the level generally of the Bucs. So I don't know if I could say, you know, they can't possibly win a single game under those circumstances, but I think that this was kind of a reflection of what it does mean when the Suns are not only winning in the paint, but also at the free throw line by that much, because the two are totally intertwined, of course. When you're getting looks inside, sometimes it doesn't result in, you know, a layup or a dunk. Sometimes it results in a couple of free throws instead, and when you knock down 25 free throws for Phoenix to Milwaukee's nine, that is a massive massive disparity that is really tough to make up for. So let's take this big picture for a second here. We've seen one game play out now. Obviously, the finals are just different from any other form of basketball, and we have not seen either of these teams or really any of these players on this stage before, Jay Crowder being the lone exception. So not talking about basketball prowess, skill, anything stylistic here, When it just comes down to composure and grit and the kind of things that really shine in the finals, who do you feel came out stronger in those respects and who do you trust more there just going forward throughout this series? I would definitely say Phoenix. Um, And I think the leader that at the forefront is Chris Paul. I think we showed, Mm. I I think he showed his, I don't, (laughs) composure. Yeah, his leadership, his Mm -hmm. willingness and readiness to be on this stage. He commanded the game. He controlled the game. Like he's the leader at the forefront. I trust him more. And then when you get to guys in this rotation, um, for composure, like I think I trust Devin Booker, probably the second most out of any player in this series. Next most, maybe Giannis. Giannis is a composed guy. I know he comes out and leads like, I just trust Booker more. Like he's just a confident, scary guy. Yeah. I'd say that, uh, Overall, I think the Suns are the far grittier team. Crowder, Bridges, all these guys, this bench plays hard. But um, I think it starts with the leader. And uh, I don't trust any guy on the floor more in this finals than Chris Paul. I totally agree. I think coach, best players on down, through the role, guys. This is an area in which I just lean Suns. You you say coach. Monty Williams and Chris Paul have been doing this. Like, they have so much. Their brains are just connected, man. It's like Peyton and Marvin Mm -hmm. Harrison. Like, they just, they know what the other one's thinking. They have... They click too. That matters. Yeah. 
it's just wild seeing stuff, highlight videos and whatnot about Chris Paul's finals debut. It's just wild at 36. This is really his first time there because it does not feel that way at all. I mean, I was impressed in that nobody in this game felt phased. And I'm scrolling through my mind trying to think of a parallel as far as just how these finals felt in game one and how they'll likely feel going forward. And there really isn't one. I mean, it's been a long time since we didn't have a sort of challenger against battle-tested champion dynamic or a couple of champions squaring off. Like, the only recent one I can think of where neither team had been to the finals in recent memory was 2014-15 Warriors-Cavs. And, you know, the Cavs hadn't been there, but LeBron James obviously had been there four straight years. So it didn't feel like they were some inexperienced team. Before that... I guess Heat Mavs is the last one where it was really like neither of these teams have been there before. And even then, you know, there were a couple of holdovers from those Mavs teams, Dirk, Jason Terry, who had been there before indeed. So, and Dwayne Wade, of course, who had been there for the Heat and done it before. So like, it's just wild to me, but neither team feels outmatched or afraid of the moment. And that's just cool to see because, you know, jitters can be interesting and stuff when they like actually affect pro athletes and you can see it out there. But I thought the best players came out aggressive here. Book, still not his most efficient shooting night. And that's a trend that I think we should watch going forward because of obviously how much of a grind in a rock fight last series was. And after game one, it was pretty brutal for him. He finished the series shooting about 38%. I also will say though, he finishes eight of 21, but Two of those misses were heaves, so, you know, factor that into the percentage overall on the day. But, like, I thought everybody came out impressive. To you, when you're looking at these finals, I mean, does this feel like anything else to you? And just, you know, how would you sort of encapsulate the uniqueness of what we do have going on right now? Well, I just think we have two such... I don't know, man. We, we've... Carson, we clamored for this last year. Basketball parody. We just wanted mm-hmm. evenly matched teams where we just... Basketball for such a long time has felt like the NBA, at least in my opinion, the past decade has just felt so obvious and so monotonous that these are the two teams that we're going to get. We know it's going to be LeBron and somebody else. This is awesome. This okay. is so much fun. And it's weird. It's weird as, <laughs> as anything, bro. I didn't think we were going to get Bucks, uh, Suns. If you had told me that at the start of the year, I would have told you you were a loon. But. Mm-hmm. This is awesome, and I'm hoping this is what we get year in, year out moving forward. I want randomness. I want to be utterly confused every time we get to this point of the year and not understand why we're here. The only thing I will say, though, Carson, the only thing that continually seems to hold up and make sense uh, is the stat you brought up before the show, and uh, this is getting back to the statistics of all of it, and I want to hear your opinion on the uh, uniqueness of the finals, but Defense wins championships, man, and uh, that's mm-hmm. why these two teams are here. It's why we had Lakers heat last year, and maybe that's the constant that we should look forward in uh, the playoffs forward, uh, just team defense. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think that that has not been the trend historically, and I mean, I touched on this in the video that I made, but there have been a lot of champions or a lot of teams that have made conference finals runs that were able to survive meh defenses, and that's not the case right now, and so I don't know going forward if I can say this is how it's going to be, but it's really interesting that it has been that way this time around. And I don't feel like game one was defined by defense. I think it was defined by the big time shot makers on the court and that leaned Phoenix, but obviously 
two very strong defenses. And it's just interesting to view this as a portrait of where the league is at and where it may be headed because when you talk about randomness, for me, there's an important distinction to be made in that I like parity. I do not particularly care for the inevitability, especially when it is like 2017 Warriors level where it's just like we know exactly what's going to happen. It's not even going to be close. There is not a team that is going to pose a legitimate threat to them. That to me is not all that pleasant. Knowing LeBron is going to be in the finals out of either conference is not all that pleasant. But what really enticed me about this year is that it's not parity like in the sense of the early 2000s Eastern Conference, right? Where it's like there are a bunch of teams winning 40-something games and there's no outlier. It's that there were a lot of legitimate contenders. And that's where this maybe is a unique season and could be a unique period in NBA history, but I'm not inclined to say that this continues, unfortunately, just because I think the healthy Nets are, frankly, the best offense ever. I think even the Lakers could very reasonably find their way into getting another star in there next year just because of the desperation they'll be feeling as an organization. But that's the difference between this and the other parody-defined period that I I think of in NBA history, which is like the late 70s where, you know, Bullet Sonics is the closest thing you have to dynasties because they they played each other in back-to-back finals. Or like, you know, the Celtics are the only team, I believe, to win two titles in that decade. No, the Celtics and the Knicks because the Knicks won in 70 and 73. But my point is just that it was somewhat chaotic, but towards the end of that decade, after the Blazers were kind of taken out of the picture because Bill Wallen was no longer himself, you just had weird teams where it's like Wes Unseld, Elvin Hayes, Jack Sigma, Gus Johnson. These are the best guys in the finals. My point is that's not what we have right now. So this isn't randomness in the sense that it's because there is no deserving champion. It's because there are a lot of deserving finalists, a lot of deserving champions, and you don't know exactly who it's going to be. And that's a lot of fun. I think that that's a really bright takeaway from this season, no matter who ends up winning this. Logan, you gave me the applause emoji on Zoom. Thank you. A little bit of a long-winded way for me to get to my point there. Definitely wanted to talk about a little bit of Bullet Sonics, but we got there. No, that was well said, bro. I I don't think you could uh, tie it up much better. No, we have a ton of stars in the league, and hopefully that means that it's wide open. That's what makes makes sports fun. It's why we play the games. Um, It's awesome. I don't know. I don't know who's going to – yeah, and I I think that's an important distinction, though. It's not random in the sense Mm -hmm. that it's just, yeah, no one's deserving. The best team is going to come out on top. It's just – (laughs) <laughs> it's weird that it's not LeBron or Steph Curry's team. We're coming out and it's right. 36-year-old Chris Paul. Yeah, and what I think is really fun as we do zoom out here a little bit, because again, we've only seen one game, but we were so anxious. We have to do a podcast, of course, having seen that one game, is that this is going to alter legacies in a massive way. Like You don't realize that somebody is immortalized often until they are immortalized. And... This is a chance for everybody from CP3 and Giannis on down to the Chris Middletons, the Drew Holidays, the DeAndre Aytons of the world to really cement their legacies. And I really look at Middleton and Holiday because they have been those swing guys throughout these playoffs, so hot and so cold. This is their chance because who knows what the landscape will look like going forward. Who knows what this Bucks team will look like going forward if they fall short. I mean, I don't think they're going to go into desperate blow-up mode because this was their best result to this point, but there may still be changes. But these are the guys who can sort of 
establish their memory forever because people judge you off of the finals if you get there. Otherwise, people don't really remember you historically. And so that matters a ton. And I think we've done enough talk in the past about, you know, how much can you trust Middleton and Holiday, but it remains a storyline, not just for this series, but for how these players are remembered historically. And I'll always just trust the Suns guys a little more in that respect, but they still have to prove it. You know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they still have to prove that they can do this night in, night out. And that's the magic of the finals is that this isn't just stuff that basketball fans care about in this moment anymore. This is stuff that nerds like us read about, you know, 30, 40 years later. Like, as much as I love the NBA, I can't tell you about every conference finals ever, but I can tell you about every finals ever to a certain extent at the very least. I can tell you who won. I can generally tell you how many games it was in. I can tell you the finals MVP for every single one of them. Like, this is where the memories are made. This is where it really, really matters. And we have guys who haven't had that opportunity before, and it's just pretty darn cool. Yeah, and I don't want to shut the door completely on the Bucks after one game, but you're exactly right, Carson. We've talked about what a big what a big win this would be for the legacy of Chris Paul for a Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday can make it a stain on their resume. Like, I don't want to write these guys off just now. Like, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday very well could still be the heroes of this story. It's not mm-hmm. told yet, and they could ruin Chris Paul's really nice fairy tale, but that's where we're at, and uh, the door's wide open. Yeah, I don't want to... I always pigeonhole myself after game one, and I'm like, yeah, man, I could I could hop on the Suns and four train uh, that's going to pop <laughs> up. But um, I've been fooled a, t- uh, a few too many times uh, in these playoffs. Uh, the rest of this series, I think, is still going to be very competitive. I think we still go seven games. Yep. And I still trust the Suns, but I've seen Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday get hot enough for periods of time for in these playoffs, like you said against Atlanta like I don't want to shut the door on Milwaukee just yet this is still a they can no man Chris Middleton can win a finals MVP for all I know yeah I totally agree and like that's why I don't have a decisive take about either one of them after game one Middleton got hot he knocked down his shots Drew was off shooting but still found a way to impact the game defensively on the glass diming other guys up actually that does remind me of one more basketball thing that I would like to ask you about as we wrap things up Drew, it felt like at the very least, was on CP3 for the majority of the game. I didn't expect that. It ended up not mattering all that much who was on CP3 because, again, he just got that switch out of the pick and roll every time. But I just don't think that makes all that much sense. I mean, as I said before, try to clamp the guy who, in Devin Booker, is more reliant on that scoring. Don't put him on the guy who is going to control the game with his playmaking more than anything and, again, can just get Drew switched off of him if you're going to play them this way in Chris Paul. I think that we saw them switch that up a little bit more. I mean, there were definitely some possessions where Drew was on book, but what do you think about that? Does that surprise you? What do you expect going forward there? Um, It didn't surprise me. Like, uh, Holiday is arguably their best perimeter defender, but you know who I'd put on Chris Paul the rest of the series, Carson? P.J. Tucker, baby. He's strong. Mm -hmm. He's got a strong base, and he's got a motive, man. He should be Mm -hmm. out to kill the last member of the, uh, the, what is it, 2018 Rockets? Yeah, just wipe Mm -hmm. them all out. Um, I just like P.J. against CP3. He's just a good matchup. He's so strong. He just, he can bump CP3 off of his spots the way other guys can't. And, again, if he gets tangled up in a screen or switched off, so be it. But Mm -hmm. Chris is going to get that switch at will anyway. 
Um, I personally think PJ is the best matchup defensively for CP3. Mm-hmm. All right, final take. Do they play Giannis at the five the majority of the minutes, or do they wait it out a little bit more? It's Coach Bud, what do you think? He's going to wait it out a little more. Okay, okay. what do you think they should do then? You got to try it. You got cooked without it. Yeah, go away. Give them, run it a shot. And even if it's not the yeah. entire game, I'd at least run it like 20 minutes. Just experiment. You're going to try everything else in game one, drop coverage, switching everything. Try Giannis at the five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Why not? give everything a little bit of a shot. And, you know, I think that, again, Brooke isn't decisively going to just get dominated in this series. And some of this is just the luck of shots falling versus shots not falling. Tough shots in many cases. But you can only get cooked the same way so many times before you have to just switch things up. So I think we've pretty thoroughly covered where this series is at. Again, we're only one game deep, and I think that we both agree. I'm sticking with my initial prediction of Suns and Seven. Nothing has changed my opinion on that, but this was a really fun game one, and it's just special to be back in the finals because it just feels so important, so different, and it's where history is made. The NBA, where amazing happens. The finals, where history is made. There's a slogan for you. I think that's going to do it for us here today, unless you have any final points, Logan, but Can't wait to see how this series continues to play out. If you want to hear our continued analysis and discussion of this series, you know where to find us. Maybe you're watching on our YouTube channel. If you are, hey, how's it going? Stick around here. As you can see, we post our full podcast here. We're doing two a week, all on the NBA right now. But we also do some video breakdown content. I just made a video on the weirdness of Chris Middleton that I hope that you check out and enjoy if you are interested. You can also... Listen to the podcast only in audio form on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your audio content. The links to those will be in the description. You can follow us on social media, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, Instagram and TikTok at nerd sesh to just keep posted with what we are doing overall as a brand. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. 
You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.